0: Welcome to the Coming Home Well podcast, the show that educates, supports, and advocates for the veteran community. Your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, U.S. Army retired, will bring you exciting conversations with amazing guests about resources, research, and military history all geared to helping our warriors to come home well. Here's your host, Dr. Tyler Piron.
1: Welcome back to Coming Home Well. I'm your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, And today we're talking about ways to come home and find your purpose with a job. And this is not like a job finder, though there may be parts of that. We're talking about Military Veterans in Journalism. And that's actually the name of the organization. And we have Miss Priya Shreether. And she is on the board of directors of the Military Veterans in Journalism program. It's a nonprofit. They're a fantastic organization. And as we know, so many of us have deployed so many times and we've had these inbeds and these reporters and videographers and all these people doing journalism. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here.
1: So let's talk about it. Just ask the easy questions. What is military veterans in journalism?
2: Yeah, okay. So well, we we are a nonprofit and like you said, we wanted to create a community and a space for military veterans who are either in journalism, interested in perhaps pursuing journalism. And you know, it's funny because this didn't come about until I believe it was like 2018 or 2019, so it's a very young organization. I am a journalist. I'm a reporter. I've been a TV reporter and a broadcast journalist for Almost 15 years. And I'm also in the Navy. I'm a public affairs officer. I'm a reservist. And, you know, I found just so many parallels between my job as a reporter and my job in the Navy that I thought, I, I'm i curious to know if there are other journalists who have a military background. So I found this organization just by googling i googled military veterans and journalism and i found the organization that was at that point very much at the ground level and it was started by these two guys, Zach Badarf and Russell Midori, and sort of for similar reasons, they were kind of curious. Hey, I wonder if there's more of us out there. And through the organization, we were able to find so many people who were working in this space. And then we decided we wanted to mentor people and help them because this isn't a very easy career path to navigate. I would, say. and I think. A lot of us, it's like we watch TV, we consume news on our phones or, you know, your iPad or whatever device you have, but you don't necessarily think about like what happens behind the scenes and those people who are delivering the news to us, like how did they actually get those jobs? Right. So I guess just a few seconds about me, my path was non-traditional, I guess you could say. So most people obviously join the military when they're very young, straight out of school. I was the opposite. I commissioned into the Navy when I was 31 or 32 years old. So I'd already had an entire career in journalism. And then I decided to go and pursue a second career, essentially, in the military. And so um When I joined the Navy, I realized, wow, all these people who are mass communication specialists and public affairs officers, they're essentially being taught how to shoot and edit video, how to go out and conduct interviews, how to write articles for maybe their base newspaper or for, you know, if you're deployed on a carrier, on the carrier, they're learning all the exact same skill sets that I do every single day in my civilian job. And so it was just super fascinating because I was talking to a lot of these young folks who, you know, they were just Finishing up one of their enlistments. And I'm like, hey, what are you going to do when you get out? You know, that's the question we always ask, right? And a lot of them were like, oh, I think I'm going to go and, you know, be a car mechanic or something like that. And I was like, what? Why? Why would you do that when you have all these amazing skills? I can recognize your talent a lot of the content that you're creating, I mean, this is really professional level stuff and broadcast newsrooms or newsrooms across America would be extremely lucky to have you guys. And so it was like it had just never crossed their minds that they could use the stuff that they had learned in the military and apply it into the civilian world. So now what we do at MBJ at Military Veterans and Journalism, is we have initial conversations with people. We're like, what do you think you might be interested in? And then we can pair you with a mentor So, you know, if someone says, hey, I want to be a TV reporter, they might get paired with me because that's what I've been doing for 15 years. I can help look over their work. I can help create a resume that's like tailored for a civilian position. We also will help place people in fellowships and internships paid fellowships and internships. We've worked extremely hard to get positions at some of the most prestigious news organizations in the country, like NPR, like CNN. And we've dedicated spots for veterans, for military veterans, to get that hands-on real world experience inside of a newsroom, get six months on your resume, and hopefully that'll either translate into a full-time job Or those people in that newsroom can help connect you to a job that might be a better fit in the news field.
1: So you don't have to be, you know, going to school at DINFOS or being a public affairs or one of those combat camera positions in order to take advantage of this. Obviously, that would make sense because, you know, you're being trained in it, though I would imagine a lot of folks are like, oh, I was on AFN. That doesn't count. (laughs) or the post newspaper or whatever, like, oh, that's just local, you know, base paper or something. But it does. It's the same stuff.
2: It is the same stuff. I mean, all of those skills. I mean, today, for example, I work for the NBC station here in San Diego. I went out, I did interviews, I logged and transcribed those interviews, I turned it into a story that I then presented on TV. These are all stuff that I've seen Marines and airmen and sailors, doing on a regular basis whenever I go on orders. But you're right. It doesn't need to necessarily be someone who went to Dinfos and got that those qualification courses under their belt. We see people from all MOS coming to us saying, hey, this is something that I've kind of thought about. And I will say, I mentioned this in the beginning, but there are so many parallels. So one thing I've noticed for sure is that sense of service that we have as veterans, you know, we wanted to serve our country. That's the same reason that so many people get into journalism, because they really fundamentally believe that, you know, the First Amendment and journalism is... foundational to a democracy, right? The freedom of information. So most journalists I know, I mean, spoiler alert, actually, when you start out in this industry, just like the military, the paychecks are not big. It's not a very glamorous life, despite what you may think. You know, people think, oh, my goodness, you're on TV. No, your first few jobs, you might be living paycheck to paycheck. But the common denominator between all the people I met in my first few years in journalism and the same kinds of people I meet in the military is they're so passionate about the cause and the purpose. We really feel like informing people about their community, helping them make decisions about who they might vote for in the elections, or letting them know, hey, there's a public health crisis happening around the world. Here's information that can help you and your family that is so, so important. And for me personally, I never saw myself sitting behind a desk and in front of a laptop. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love to be in the middle of chaos. And that's exactly what you get when you sign up for a career in news. I've been in some of I tell people that I'm with them on usually the best or the very worst days of their lives. Either a tornado has come in and leveled a community and all of a sudden these people are in desperate need of help and resources and I'm there to prevent the chaos and a lot of times that's so important for the rest of the country or the state to see, hey, here's the destruction that happened. This is why it's so important that federal dollars or state dollars go to this community to help them rebuild or maybe someone's house just got leveled in a hurricane and they're trying to figure out where they can evacuate to where is fema where can i go to get water. I mean, very basic things, but that's the whole power of journalism, right? So, I mean, I've had the opportunity to report from all over the country and the world. I was actually hosted in South Asia for two years. I was in New Delhi. I've reported from Nigeria, from Indonesia, from Bangladesh. So this career has allowed me to travel all over the world, meet people that I never thought I would meet, tell their stories, get exposed to different cultures, different situations, and help people. And I feel like everything I just said is a lot of the same stuff that happens when you join the Navy or you join the Marine Corps, you join the Air Force. You get to see the world, experience things you never thought you would experience. And at the end of the day, you feel proud that you're making a difference.
1: You know, I always find that there's always a correlation between enthusiasm and and a calling and the lowered paychecks, just like with the military. You know, that we always see that. But but you bring up a really good point is that, hey, have good expectations going in. Uh, There's a lot of people that go into the news media right out of college or right out of school, and they're like, and they do it for a while. I have three different friends that were the news weatherman, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm like, you don't do the weather. And he's like, yeah, but that's what they offered me. And that's what I did. And he's not a meteorologist. He's a finance guy. I'm like, what? What? And now he's doing some awesome things. But it was like he he'll portray himself like do the weather guy and some of the other reporters. And it's an interesting transition. I have a friend that was on the local news. It was an NBC channel. And then when it was a PAO for the police department and is now a, a public affairs for one of the big school districts. And she's absolutely awesome. But it's always amazing to watch that transition because it's Mm -hmm. all sharing information. And we're all used to that in the military with reporting and all the way up the chain and daily standups and all the things that we do to communicate. We're already doing. So this isn't that big of a jump, is it?
2: It's really not. You're absolutely right. I mean, if you go into a new station, I mean, you almost feel like you're in a police station or a fire station, we have a big hub in the middle that's called the assignment desk. And that's where we listen to all the police scanners and the fire scanners. And so we're aware of all the different emergencies and situations that are developing all over our region. And then those are the people who aggregate all the different press releases that come in sometimes from the military PAOs. Hey, there's people coming back from a deployment today. Would you like to come to North Island and see the families reuniting? That's a nice feel-good story that especially Especially here in San Diego, we have such a big military and veteran audience. They love stories like that. So yeah, I mean, it's it's really cool because you really feel like you're on top of everything that's going on. We answer phones from, call, from viewers. They oftentimes will email me with some of their concerns like, oh, hey, I live in military housing and we're having a mold issue here and no one's listening to us. So sometimes it's really fascinating when people feel like they've reached the end of their rope and they've tried to exhaust all of their resources and they don't know where else to turn. Oftentimes they turn to journalists to shine a spotlight on things that they think, Are not fair or unjust, or that people need to hear about. And so I consider it a huge, like, responsibility and privilege to be able to tell those stories. And hopefully, if we're lucky, every now and then we do a little bit of good in the world and we can change people's circumstances.
1: So we have a lot of people that might be interested in going to, I mean, there's a journalism is a big, wide career. There's all the different types of jobs there's print, there's media, there's radio, there's all different kinds. So you'd mentioned some of the programs, the mentorship, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned the fellowship, but how does that work? How, who's eligible? What's the, what's the details? If one of the folks listening are like, Hey, I'd like to go get a fellowship and see if this is for me.
2: Yeah, for sure. So you just go to our website, which is mvj.network. And on there, you'll find a lot of the drop down menus. And I would say the first thing to do is to just put your information and register to become part of our network. Then you'll start receiving all of our newsletters. You'll get the emails and you will probably get hooked up with a mentor. You just have to write down sort of what you're interested in. And then I think once you have that initial conversation, which oftentimes happens with one of of our board members, including me, then we can get a better sense of how we can help you. But in those monthly newsletters, that's where we post sort of, hey, there are grand opportunities, there are fellowship opportunities. And I've sat on a lot of the boards where we review a lot of these applications. And honestly, it's such a small, tight-knit community that a lot of times we'll see an application and we're like, hey, this person, they're not really the right fit for this But actually, we know that there's something coming down the pipeline and they would be a better fit for this, for example. So we really get a sense of the people who are communicating with us and in constant contact with us. And we can really find stuff that will fit what we think will help them build a better resume and portfolio to eventually... That full time job, or if they're not sure, that's totally okay. You don't need to be 100% sure. Like, I definitely want to be a TV reporter, or I definitely want to be a magazine person. We'll say, you know what, maybe we can link you up with an internship or something for three months, you can go test it out. And usually that's when people have a way better sense of like, hey, these are the things that I liked about the position I had. And these are the things I didn't like. So that's why getting those entry level, like your foot in the door and you're in the right atmosphere and environment, those things are so important because that's where you'll really figure out like what you're passionate about. And we don't want to push you down a path that you're not passionate about whole point is that you should be fired up about what you're doing and be excited about your next chapter after the military.
1: That's a big point because it's like when you go to college and some schools are like, you just got there, what's your major? Like, I don't know. I, I'm just going here and I want to I have some ideas, but I don't know yet. And then you take those three or four really hard math class and you're like, yeah, English lit is it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I want. Or vice versa. And so Having that opportunity to go try different things, I think is really important, but also the what you build up in your mental model of what something is, is often way different than the reality. I've seen it before. These reporters are out there and it's not like they have a crew. And a lot of times it's them setting it up with the tripod doing it all themselves, knowing how far from the camera to go and and trial and error. It's not like they have a cameraman. It's not like the 1970s anymore. Things are way different. It's a lot smaller and lighter, but it's also a lot more work on the person that's doing it. So that experience is probably a big challenge as well.
2: Yeah. So I would say if you want to enter this field, just be prepared to humble yourself. You're never, it's, not realistic to say, I only want to do X or I only want to do Y. The most successful people I've seen are the ones who are versatile and can adapt because this is a field, like you mentioned, where the technology is always changing and the way that people consume their news is always changing. So when I started out, I was a one-man band. That's what we call it. So I was operating my own camera. I was doing exactly what you were saying. I was turning the camera around when I would appear on camera, and I have to figure out how far away am I standing? Am I going to be in focus or out of focus? Is the white balance correct and all of that stuff? When I started in the business, which was in 2008, I think it was, we were shooting on these mini DV tapes. I mean, some of you guys who are old might remember what that is. Those don't exist anymore. Everyone shoots on little cards now and chips, right? So that's just one example of how the technology has changed. And so if you're like, oh my God, well, I don't know how to operate this camera now. I mean, you're going to be sidelined and the business is going to move away without you. So you just have to be able. And I would say that military folks are good at adapting and being flexible. That's one of um, the greatest strengths of being in the military, I think. So And and another example would be traditionally, we all used to sit around the dinner table at 6pm and watch Walter Cronkite or Tom Broca on TV, those days are long gone. In addition to doing my TV stories, I'm also writing a web story for our website. And guess what? I'm doing Instagram teases. So I, either my cameraman or myself, I'll turn my phone around and I'll basically do a quick 15 second synopsis of what my story is and then tell people to click on the link, which will drive them then to our website, because we are trying to meet the viewers where they're at. And we're realizing that a lot of people these days, they don't watch TV the way that people did 20 years ago. They're watching Netflix, they're watching Hulu. So we're creating apps so that people can get the news still through an app or through their phone on Instagram, you're also even seeing news stations these days hiring people to do news on TikTok. So especially you young folks who are just getting out of the military, you guys are probably so skilled at all these different social media platforms, and they want to hire young people who know how to speak to young people and know how to use all these different platforms. So there are so many different opportunities that didn't even exist 10 years ago. So a lot of people come up to me and they say, hey, I heard newspapers are dying. Okay. Well, yes, the circulations might be lower than they were before, but there are plenty of people who are still subscribing to these things digitally and news will never die. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. Everybody wants to know what's going on when it comes to COVID, what's going on when it comes to the world cup right now, what's going on when it comes to the 2022 midterm elections. People want that information. The industry is just figuring it out. How do we get them that information, and where are we going to provide it? So it's never going to go away. If you have that skill set, if you have that curiosity, if this is something that sounds interesting to you, buckle up. It's going to be the ride of your life, and you just have to be prepared to pivot a little bit because it's going to keep changing.
1: It's definitely changed. I mean, you going back to the 1970s and all that, Walter Cronkite. You got one news show a day, and that was all the news that you're going to cold news. Now it's 24 hours a day, CNN all the time. But even local news, like we're doing the reevaluation of property taxes here locally. And oh, my gosh, are everybody and their brother talking about it because it's gone up significantly. And other than the local news, our little la- a local paper talking about it, a lot of people just would have gotten it in the mail and been really mad. So at least there's some context. So there's always, as long as there's rumors and things that people want to talk about, there's going to be news. I totally get it. Now, changing it, the environment is totally going to change. It's good. That's in life. But you guys offer some really cool opportunities, like some of these events where people can go and meet these different organizations. What? How does that work? And where do you do them?
2: Yeah, so we just had our first in-person annual convention, which was in Washington, D.C. in October. That was fantastic. The previous one we had done virtually, which we all know is not as fun and exciting. But to with make the
1: movement. Rona, you got to do what you got to do.
2: You got to do what you got to do. That's right. So those are fantastic opportunities. I'm not quite sure where our next year's convention is going to be just yet, but they typically happen in the fall. And I would say that First of all, we offer scholarships. So people who might say, okay, well, what if the convention's in Chicago and I live in California? That's really far away and I can't afford a plane ticket. Guess what? Don't worry. We've got your back. We always understand that, especially when, you know, you're transitioning out of active duty and you're trying to figure out your next steps, money might be tight. So we don't want that to be a barrier of entry for you being able to pursue this. So we have scholarships for people to help you with airfare, to help you with hotels. You can come out to wherever our annual convention may be. There's some of the top people in journalism. So not just people who are military veterans themselves, but people like Barbara Starr, who cover the Pentagon for CNN. I've talked to Barbara
1: Starr, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, she's someone that is a household name, right? And she's broken some of the biggest military news of our time. So people like her, we've networked with her and she's really supportive of MVJ. And the other thing I should mention is this is a two-way street. We're not just trying to encourage folks in the military to join the news ranks. We also go around and talk to news organizations around the country about why they should hire military veterans, right? Because If you think of any of the biggest stories that have happened over the last several years, they usually have some sort of military tie. And our argument to those editorial managers is that you're gonna get way better reporting if you have someone who's worn the uniform themselves. So one's the
1: lingo, knows where to go, how to cut through the chaff.
2: That I I would say one of the biggest how to get
1: PAOs to tell you the truth.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, and so another thing I would say is that. There has historically been sort of an adversarial relationship between the military and reporters. For a lot of us who have joined the military, you're sort of t- taught, don't talk to reporters, keep quiet, don't trust them. They're going to trick you into telling something that you're not supposed to tell. And on the flip side of that, as reporters, when I first joined this profession, I was told that, oh my God, it's so hard to get any information out of military people. They all speak in these acronyms. I have no idea what they're saying. It was like, like, so it was this weird thing. And for those very few of us who had been on both sides of the aisle there, I guess you could say, where we've been in the military and we're like, there shouldn't be this huge divide because... All of what we're doing is fighting for democracy and serving our communities and our countries. So we should all be on the same team, right? So yeah, we go around and we talk to these different news organizations about why they should hire military veterans. So just one quick example, we all remember the withdrawal from Afghanistan that happened last summer. That was a huge story. And we saw all of the news outlets around the world covering it. But I decided, because most of my friends who have worn the uniform, they all served in Afghanistan. That's been going on for 20 years. So I decided to get a panel together of people who had served in Afghanistan and ask them, like, how do you feel about these pictures that we're seeing right now? And that's something that if I hadn't worn a uniform and I hadn't had so many brothers and sisters who had gone to Afghanistan, I might not have necessarily thought to let's try to approach the story like that. So there's a lot that military veterans can offer. It's not like those obvious stories too. Sometimes there's a distrust in the media right now. We've all heard the phrase fake news. People love to hurl that at us and it's very unfortunate, but I think that there's an added level of credibility for people who have worn the uniform. And so I know for a fact that here in San Diego and I've worked in Texas as well, I've received so many news tips from veterans or people who are in the military or married into the military or whatever. And they're like, you know what? I never thought I could trust a reporter. But since you also are in the Navy, I feel like this is something that I want to talk to you about. And I wish that I would see the media covering this. We often quote that statistic that only 1% of the American population has ever worn a uniform. It's pretty much that same statistic as far as how many people have ever been professional reporters in the United States. Like most of us have never encountered a reporter before. For. So it's very easy to say, oh, fake news or, oh, the liberal reporters or whatever. But guess what? At the end of the day, we're your neighbors. We're coaching the same little league teams as you are. We're sending our kids to the same schools as you are. We're all just people who are trying to do our very best and serve our communities. And so I think if we eliminate all of this smoke around both of those professions, we, we would see that we're all kind of on the same page and we should all we really need to do is communicate more and we would be able to solve a lot of the issues that are going on in our in our communities, I think.
1: And most of the people in the military, I think, totally get that because we've seen where the power of being able to amplify a message, like you mentioned, with the mold in the housing or mm-hmm. a death of trainees or things that may not get the attention otherwise because of the closed communities but people are really fed up with it. Social media has changed that. The media has always been there. I was at Walter Reed uh, during the big scandal with the uh, patients. Uh, I wasn't th- there, but I was I was at there. I was assigned there. And that was a huge issue. And I was working a case. I was a criminal investigator that Barbara Starr initially reported. And we are all like, ah, shit. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as I saw that report, it was very vague at the time. I said, yeah, we're going to get a lot of uh, media attention. We knew that, but it took a little while. But as soon as I saw that, I said, yeah, it's going to be a deluge now. I was remembering that when you mentioned Barbara Starr, because she's very tenacious and she knows the military. Yep. You guys have some, go ahead.
2: Oh, no, I was just going to say that sometimes there's that initial mentality of like, oh, no, the media is coming. That's so bad. But what I've realized a lot is it's, hard for me sometimes because I'm a Navy public affairs officer. So that's what I do in the Navy. And sometimes we see these really scandalous headlines like, oh, there's been so many suicides of sailors who have served on carriers in the past few years. And nobody wants that to be a headline. But if that is in fact something that's happening, it's better that it's out there and we're talking about it and we're figuring out why is this happening so that we can address the problems. So I think The days of brushing things under the rug are over. And so if you are someone who takes pride in wearing the uniform and in the armed forces of the United States, you should want these issues to be discussed in the general public. You know what I mean? It's for the betterment of all of us, I think.
1: And I was in D.C. for many years. And and one of the catchphrases, whether we're going to do something like, are you willing to have that in the headline of The Washington Post tomorrow? And they're like, oh, no. And then you probably should rethink that decision. And so that, yep. I mean but that makes a lot of sense because if you know you, you're being held up as a leader having that opportunity you better be able to stand behind it and be proud of that decision rather than go oh boy bad yep, things exactly. are happening. So you guys are, are, serve a lot of veterans are there any restrictions is it just the Gulf War post 9/11 is it any era any disabilities any any restrictions other than being a military veteran
2: no there is literally none we also have even helped spouses because we believe that you're also part of the family and you do still understand the culture and the issues and so i would say even if you're a spouse or a kid of someone who's in the military and you're like in your teenage years and you and you were You're curious, contact us. Like, we love helping people. Anyone who's part of the military family, we consider that to be great. And we would love to help you. Another thing I'll mention is we also give people money to write articles about things that they're interested in. So, the reason I just remembered it is because you mentioned disabilities. And so, we actually have grant money that's specifically for people who want to write stories about issues dealing with. Military veterans with disabilities, or in that space, so that's what's really cool. Is we've really chased after people, organizations that have money who are looking for more news and journalism and stories that have to do with these very niche things that we're not seeing often in the mainstream news. So those are all also listed in our newsletters. But you can basically write like a little paragraph of, "Hey, I would love to explore how." psychedelic drugs might help veterans who have PTSD and here's, and basically all we ask of you is list a few people you think you might want to interview or like what, what you're hoping to include in the article and we'll review your application and we give people money to basically go after it and write the article and once you're done with your story we will use our network to help you get published in the most prominent publication that you can be so we will help you every step of the way we will help give you money so that you're not devoting time to something that you know you're not getting compensated for we'll help you make those connections we'll help mentor you and edit your work and then we'll help you approach the editorial teams of major publications, because we have those relationships already, and hopefully you'll see your byline in those organizations. And that's, I mean, for anyone, that's who, huge. Yeah, it's that's huge. breaking
1: in and getting that contact with the people that make decisions. Yeah, like it, out of the blue is probably they probably get a million pitches a day.
2: Exactly. So that's why it's so important sometimes to have the backing of an organization. And that's what we're trying to do is for a long time, the news business had been a very old tiny boys little club. circle of people. Yeah. <laughs> and we want to expand that because we believe that if there are more people who have a seat at the table, those are the stories that are going to be told. Because a lot of times the stories are generated from the people who are sitting in the room. And if they have no experience wearing a uniform or living the military life or PCSing or having to have a loved one be away on a deployment, they don't really get it, right? So that's why we need you guys to come. And because I can't tell you the number of people whenever I'm on orders who are like, oh, I just hate the media, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, give me actual constructive criticism. What kind of stories would you like to see more on a channel like NBC or CNN? And oftentimes when I'm actually presenting them with that question, they can't really pinpoint what it is that aggravates them. But this is your chance. Instead of being on your couch and pointing and yelling at the TV, why don't you become a part of the process and let's fix it? Let's make it better. Let's make it more inclusive. Let's make it something where you're not like, oh, those liberal elite people have no idea what it's like
1: you know that, that is a really good point i love the fact that there's some grants out there so you can get it going you're not just like doing it as a hobby or the goodness of your heart and the link with the actual publishers mm-hmm. as opposed to a blog and there's nothing wrong with blogs and substacks and all those other things that's a legit source of uh, journalism as well That's not what most people are looking for. And maybe when you're more established, that'd be like a side thing. Uh, You just have so much, you can't contain it in one thing. So I think that's pretty cool. And you have another couple of programs as well. So we talked about the the annual membership, which I think is really, or the convention that you guys had Mm -hmm. in DC a few months back. Oh, speaking of which, if you guys want to learn about MDMA, treating PTSD, just go listen to the podcast from like six weeks ago. We've had several people on just on that topic, which I thought was just fascinating and psychedelic mushrooms. We've been talking to a lot of folks about these alternative treatments that show a lot of promise. I love the idea. So she, you have that definitely down as a great idea. We've been looking at it too, because there's so many facets to it. And it works great for some people. It works all these different pieces that nobody's really getting that story because the science is still new. And it's really helping some people and other people it doesn't. But that's like everything, right? Yeah. So you guys... Go to EJ.network is the website and just click on the grants. If you want to learn more, there's all sorts of stuff. We're going to put the link on the Coming Home Well Facebook page and all the other social medias. So if you're driving, you don't have to go search for it. That's going to be super easy. So they have grants. They have mentorship, fellowships, and there was a couple other things that you guys do. I'm just trying to recall the internships, the mentorships, the fellowships, all these ships. Um, Oh, (laughs) press credentials.
2: Yeah. So those are incredibly important because if you've ever operated as a journalist anywhere, you pretty much have to show that wherever you go, whether it's getting into city hall or getting to some sort of, excuse me, press conference, or if you're going to like the scene of a crime or an accident or a disaster zone, usually the people who, the security in those situations ask for press credentials. And so a lot of people are like, how do i get press credentials right and typically the way you do it is through a news organization if you work full time or freelance for a news organization but we can help you guys get your press credentials so that you can like i said have a seat at that table because a lot of times that's honestly how people get their start is they showed up at press conferences here in san diego the mayor basically holds a weekly press conference and anyone with a press credential can go and sit there and so then you can listen to whatever he's talking about, hear the questions that the other journalists are asking, and you can write a story if you want to, or do a blog, which you know, like, is not the best thing as far as getting a ton of readership, but it's a good start just to get that practice so we can help you get those credentials as well.
1: That reminds me of something. The best way to get promoted in the military, especially as a junior enlisted, is be on time, be in the right uniform, and have a good attitude. If you have those three things, 90% of your problems go away. These press credentials help you be in the right uniform, so to speak.
2: Absolutely. Yes. And I would say that those three things apply to almost anything in life, from what
1: they do. <laughs> there, it's yeah. always great advice. Yeah. So we've talked about a lot of things, but I'm sure there are things that I didn't cover. So what should I have asked you, but didn't?
2: Well, I guess a lot of people ask me, why on earth did you join the military <laughs> when you were in your 30s? Um, Fair you- question. Yeah. So they were like, you had this TV career, you've lived all over the world. Why did you decide to do that? I don't have like a very (laughs) obvious answer to but I would say that my parents were immigrants from India who came to the United States and I was born and raised in Boston. But as a first generation American, you know, anyone who's listening who's also had that experience, I think you're actually extremely patriotic to the United States, right? Because you're taught as a young child, you have all the opportunities and resources at your fingertips. You can go to college if you want to. You can pursue whatever path you want in life. And that might not have necessarily been the case if you were born wherever your parents came from, right? So I had always, I guess my parents had instilled that sense of patriotism in me from a young age. And I think that's why a lot of folks who are first generation Americans say that they have this work ethic that they got from their immigrant parents, because they really either they felt a lot of pressure, they felt a lot of pride and wanting to make sure that they were doing this country justice, right. And so I always had that feeling. And it wasn't until I actually moved back to India in my mid 20s, to work as a foreign correspondent that I felt even more proud to be an American. And so it was after that I started exploring, how can I I serve my country? How can I give back? So I applied to the State Department to be a Foreign Service Officer and I was selected. But then I thought to myself, I don't really want to give up my news career because I'm so passionate about that. So a friend of mine who I had gone to college with happened to mention that there's a program called the Direct Commission Officer Program in the Navy, where they essentially try to recruit people with a certain civilian skill set to sort of augment certain MOSs in the military that they needed. And public affairs happened to be one of them. So he's like, would you be willing to go talk to a recruiter? And in my head, like I was saying, all those preconceived notions that you have about either reporters or the military, I was like, oh, I can't wear a uniform. I'm just going to turn into a brainwashed robot. And I can't be a spokesperson for Uncle Sam. That's against everything I stand for. I'm here to question authority and blah, blah, blah. And then I humbled myself and I decided to research what that entailed. And I realized that, wow, the military, you get to do so many humanitarian missions around the world. You get to serve, you get to have all these cool educational opportunities. And I was like, all right, I'll give this a shot. So I went and spoke to a recruiter and it was a really long process. And then the next thing you know, I get a call that says I was selected and I went out to office in Newport, Rhode Island. And yeah, I've been in for seven years now and it's been like a life-changing experience. It's made me a better person. It's made me a way better journalist. And I feel super duper lucky that I get to wear the uniform.
1: And you're in San Diego. So you're combining both. I mean, big Navy town and you're on TV. So like people are like, I know you, I'm sure people come up to you and they can't quite place you, but they, <laughs> they're like, Oh, I know you. But if they don't know like how.
2: Yeah, it happens a lot. I'll run into people like even at the dog beach. I take my dog to the dog beach and they're like, do you go to this gym? And I'm like, let me just help you out. You probably just see me on TV, which I know it's probably seems slightly obnoxious, but it's like what you just said. They can sort of sense that they know me from somewhere and can't really figure it out. And nine times out of 10, I don't actually know them. They've just seen, obviously, my reporting on TV.
1: So if I was a... a- new person getting out or I've been out a while and I'm sort of trying to figure out my life, find my purpose in life, as we call it, finding my tribe. And and you've touched on this a little bit where the assignment desk and the camaraderie uh, of the news organizations. And I think that's an important parallel. The biggest thing people complain about when they leave service is finding their tribe and finding their purpose. And I think you sort of got to that about like the assignment desk and working with people and working on stories What do you think about that sort of parallel?
2: Oh, I mean, these people are my family, my news people. So I, since the age of 23, I'm now almost 38. For the past 15 years, I've moved every two years because actually that's in this profession, especially when you're first starting out, You might move every two to three years just like you did in the military, right? So you pack up your entire life and you move to somewhere in the country that you've never been before and guess who's there to help you figure out where do I live? Where's the grocery store? Where do I take my dog for a walk? It's your news family. So everywhere I've gone, it's like, these are the people who they've lived that similar lifestyle. We have weird hours. You might work the morning shift. That goes from 2.30 in the morning to 11 a.m. Who the heck do you hang out with? That doesn't sound like
1: a morning shift to me. That sounds like a middle of the night shift.
2: Well, the night, so, and then there's the normal, the day side shift, which is what I'm on. That's nine to 6 p.m. And then the night side shift is 2 p.m. to 11.30. So you're working all these weird shifts. So those are the people who are also on the weird shifts with you are all the cameramen and the people who work in the control room and the producers and the people who sit on the assignment desk listening to the scanners. And so those are the people who understand your wacky, weird schedule, your lifestyle. Guess what? I worked the morning show on Thanksgiving. Okay. So when everyone else was traveling home to be with their families, I was waking up to a two o'clock alarm and I was going out to the stories and I was the person who, if you turned your TV on, that was me. And people ask me all the time, doesn't that make you feel sad that you miss holidays and you're working on the weekends and you're working the mornings and the nights. And I'm like, this has just become my life. This is my family in a way. I'm so used to it. And to me, it's a really small sacrifice for the greater good. So yeah, I mean, you it's a very much a team sport. It's like playing on a basketball team or something where you need your producer to stack the show. You need your reporters to deliver the stories. You need your cameramen to shoot the video. You need the writers to write some of the stuff. So without everyone doing their part, there would be no newscast. There would be nothing. So it's, everyone plays a role and we all depend on each other and the coolest part about it is at the end of every day, you see a tangible product. You can turn on the TV, you can go to the website, you can look at Instagram and you see that all. I feel like a lot of people have jobs where they're working all day and it's like, oh, like, yeah, I think I, no, you don't think you accomplished something. You went somewhere, you told a story and you did something today. And so you can feel good that you got something done. And that's part of what I love about it. So yeah. And there's a lot of communities and groups for news people. Now, one of them that I'll just give a shout out to right now is called that news life on Instagram and I would suggest anyone who's interested in getting into the news world take a look at that page because it'll show you the ugly the pretty all of the things they'll see people sitting on 10 feet of snow in a big snowstorm in Michigan or you'll see people you know all over the place and we all are basically part of that news life group and we all support each other and give each other shout outs on Christmas and Thanksgiving and all of those tough days when you're away from your family but yeah so there's a ton of camaraderie.
1: It sounds like a whole lot like the military in a lot of ways, like you go and you go do a mission and then it's done and then you're preparing for the next one or you PCS or you go do something else. That's the cool thing. It's you've accomplished something and boom, you move on to the next thing. As opposed to like come in and punch a clock or sit behind a computer all day. Some people, especially if you've been in the military, it's the worst torture ever just to sit behind a desk all day. Other people are like, I just want a desk and I never want to see hiking or camping ever again in my life. It's one of the two different cultures, different things. Is there anything else that we should know about a career in journalism? I mean, obviously we have written, we have print, we have radio. I'm sure there's the internet hybrids as well. Is it yep. cameramen? Is it writers? Is it on air talent? I mean, cause there's so much, or does it just, Hey, look, journalism get in touch with the military veterans in journalism.
2: Yeah, I would say all of it boils down to, are you a curious person? Do you want to learn about things that you've never learned about or been exposed to? Are you open-minded? Would you be able to interview someone who has completely different viewpoints from you and not lose your mind? You have to respect everyone. You have to be curious. You have to be passionate about the truth because the truth is what counts, not what you think the truth is. It's what the actual truth is. And I know that's a very controversial thing to say right now because people <laughs> don't think that should should be objective. Yeah. If all of those things sound appealing to you, then you have come to the right place. Because everybody who's part of the team, they have to have those fundamental things. They need to be curious. They need to want to be part of this mission. So if those, if those things sound interesting to you, like come on over to our website and we're so excited to talk to you. You can contact me personally if you'd like. You can message me on Instagram. My name is Priya Reporter. And you can put that wherever you want on
1: Yeah, we'll get we'll share that on the on the socials as well. That way, if you guys are driving, you don't have to write it down. But again, the website, if you're listening, you can type it up or your stoplight, don't do that, is MVJ, Mike Victor Juliet.network.com. It's, it's dot network, so it's pretty easy to remember the military veterans in journalism. We've been talking with Priya Shreder, and she's on the board of directors of the Military Veterans in Journalism thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. I really appreciate it. And I think it's really exciting to have another opportunity and all the support and guidance that folks can get with real pros to break into journalism. I think that's the really cool part about all of what you're doing.
2: Well, thank you so much. And I hope that your listeners will link up with us.
1: I'm sure they will. Thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Coming Home Well with Dr. Tyler Piron. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. Follow us on Instagram at Coming Home Well underscore BTS or on Twitter at Coming Home Well. Thanks again. And until all are home and all are well, this is Coming Home Well.